This episode is sponsored by Harvest. I used Harvest to track time, track subcontractors' time, and invoice clients. Their time tracking is really simple and easy to use. Invoicing includes a pay now function by credit card and PayPal, and you can sign up at getharvest.com. Use the code RF to get 50% off your first month. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 20 of the Ruby Freelancer Show. This week on our podcast, we have Eric Davis. Hello. We also have Jeff Schoolcraft. What's up? We have Evan Light. I'm back. And we have a special guest, that's CJ Hayden, because this week is our book club where we're talking about Get Clients Now. Welcome, CJ. Thank you. Glad to be here. So do you want to introduce yourself, maybe give us a little bit of background about you before we get going? Uh, sure. So uh, Get Clients Now is my baby. It's been around since 1995, which is a good long track record for anything in this world, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, Get Clients Now is a 28-day marketing and sales program for independent professionals. So I designed the program, I wrote the book, and I coach people in the Get Clients Now system, and I also train facilitators to lead the Get Clients Now system and bring other people through it as a, a program or one-on-one coaching. Awesome. So do you do coaching in addition to having the book out there? Yes, I do. Awesome. Well, that would be really cool to go through, I think. But uh, anyway, we're talking about the book, and the book was just really, really interesting. It was funny because these guys told me to read it a while ago, and so I read it, and I was like, okay, I kind of know what to do. And then I read it the second time, and I started working through the worksheets and stuff, and I'm sitting here going, why didn't I do this the first time? I think it goes like this. I got into this group about three years ago. Eric and Jeff both mentioned to me to, to read this book. And I've mentioned this book to every single freelancer who I've met or every single person whose arm I've twisted and joined into becoming a freelancer, Chuck being one of them. <laughs> I love to hear that. Yeah. Well, it's, a great, it's a great book. It, it, of all the business books I've read, it's made the most uh, impact on my business. Wow. Thank you for that. And and Chuck, you know, I love what you said about what you read it and you thought, yeah, well, that's nice. But then you actually did the worksheets and said, hey, this is pretty cool. This thing works. Yeah. Well, it kind of punched me in the jaw and said, hey, look, you, you really are having, pro- you know, you're having problems in your sales process right there. And here's how to fix it. And And that's what I really liked about it was, you know, it really kind of shined the light on there. I'm terrible, terrible at following up with people. And uh, I'm like, oh, that would probably be a good thing to get good at. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, so I've been working through the worksheet and I'm going to start my 28 days tomorrow and we'll get running. Fabulous. And you know, you said something really important, which is that you noticed that follow-up is not is something that you're not so great at. And that's why I put follow-up in, in the center of the universal marketing cycle that's the first diagnostic tool in the Get Clients Now system is because it's so easy to forget about that, but it needs to be front and center. It needs to be visible to us all the time. Yep, absolutely. And the, the thing is, is that you, you put in there, you have a whole bunch of different questions. You know, if you answer yes to these questions, then you probably need to focus on getting leads. And if you're, you know, if you're, or filling the pipeline, I guess it is. And then if you if you answer yes to these questions, then you need to focus on following up. And if you answer yes to these questions, you need to focus on presentations. And then the last one is closing the sales. And, you know, it really just highlights, you know, a lot of books use that approach. 
And in a lot of cases, it works really well because you're reading that and, you know, it really kind of gets your attention and go, you're going, okay, I'm answering yes to all of these questions. And I think that that's exactly what I, I want people to do is use the book as a coach. Let it ask them questions and have the questions evoke realizations about what you should be focusing on, where your effort should be going. If you just read it and absorb information, that's great. And a lot of books just do that. They tell you information. But then where's the action step? And I think that in order for there to be a change in, in what you do, there needs to be a change in your awareness. You need to realize something new and go, oh, because that's what really causes you to change the way that you do things. See, about half the people I've recommended this book to, they instantly push back and, or, or they, they push back either violently or, or passive aggressively and they say, yeah, but what am I really going to get out of it? And I try to put it in terms of it's not a book that tells you what to do. It's a book that gives you the materials you need and helps you form a plan and the plan is unique to you. So it's going to work. You just have to work with the book. And when I put it to them that way, they tended to, to get on board with them. And that's why I found the book to be so great is that you had enough different suggestions in there for different forms of marketing. And then you prioritize them in terms of effectiveness that it became very clear to me what would work for me out of that book. And it has been working. Well, that's a great description, Evan, of, of what's different about it from other approaches to marketing is that it is customized and you don't need to be a marketing expert to, to, to customize it for yourself. I designed the book as a cookbook with that kind of methodology so that you could literally use it as the way we do cookbooks. I don't know how to cook. Tell me how to do it. And you can <laughs> pick something from a list. You can use a recipe and you can put it together in a way that it really works for you. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, I have to ask, is your, is your coaching approach very much different from what you get out of the book? Um, yes and no. So I do two kinds of coaching. I coach people on how to get clients. And when we're doing that, how to get clients work, absolutely, I use all the Get Clients Now tools because there it is and they're good tools, so people should use them. And it's one of the reasons that people first come to me for coaching. So that's the, the yes Part, but the no part is that really what's behind you doing or not doing what you already know you should probably do is a whole bunch of other stuff. And that's what one-on-one -on -one coaching is really good for is uncovering, well, what is that stuff? Why, for example, do you hang out on Facebook all day when you already know that probably it's only worth about 20 minutes of your time and you should be spending the rest of your marketing time doing something else? What's that about? And that's what one-on-one -on -one coaching can really get you. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, so I, I've, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, sorry. I, I was hoping we would get to this because the coaching has been uh, everybody, it seems like in a in the last year or so, everybody's been talking about getting a coach. So I sort of had two questions about the subject. And one was, why do I need a coach? Or why would you suggest people get a coach? And then I guess I turn it around to you, CJ. Do you have a coach yourself? But just Good question. Yeah. Right now, I do not have a coach myself. And I have had a coach for myself many times in the past. And I think that's what I would say to the question, should somebody have a coach? 
Sometimes, I think so. I think having a coach at times when you're wanting to change something significant about the way that you're doing things, when you are wanting to learn something new about how you operate, I think that's one of the things that, that coaching is really good for. Or when you have a big project. You know, I've had a coach at times in the past when I've been, for example, working on a book because that's one of the things that I really need help with finding room to fit into my life. I've written four books now and every time I do it, it's like, ah, was I crazy to think I was going to make this fit in here somehow? So I need help with having somebody else not just hold me accountable, but help me see, okay, you want to be working on the book. You said you did. So why aren't you? What's getting in the way here? And really have that that person who's going to give me that benevolent peer pressure, right? To say, so what's going on? You said you wanted this and yet it's not happening. What's in the way? How can we fix that? How can we make you do things differently so that you get what you want? So that's what coaching is really good for. At times when you're sort of coasting along status quo, no, no real need to, to, to have a coach. At times when things are going really great for you, maybe there's no real need to have a coach either. But when you want to make changes, when you want to take on something new and different, when you want to start something, I think those are all times that having a coach can be really helpful. It's kind of interesting points there because uh, a lot of them to me sound reminiscent of another one of my favorite books that I've recommended to almost everyone and Chuck has, has read recently is uh, David Allen's uh, Get Things Done. Yes. Getting Things Done because um, he talks he talks a lot in there about I don't remember if this is the exact term I mean I've read it twice I guess over the past few years what what is essentially like emotional inertia that if if you find yourself if you find yourself having difficulty starting something then maybe you shouldn't be starting it at all and maybe <laughs> you should just get it off your list I mean that that's that's kind of the holistic approach I often take if it's just a matter or if it's something I really want to do and I'm not getting it done then that that's a more interesting problem though I don't, I don't remember him addressing that one specifically and yeah, that is one of the techniques that I will use with a client when we've been struggling back and forth with they say they want to do something and that thing still isn't happening. One day I'll simply suggest, all right, well, let's just forget about it. Let's cross it off the list. <laughs> and usually what happens as a result of that is a big reaction on their part of, oh, no, I can't do that. I really do want it. Aha. Okay. Let's find out if you really do want it. Why you want it? What for? What's pulling you towards it? What's making you say, no, I don't want to let go of it? And let's look there for helping you find the, the motivation and the internal resources to actually make that happen for you. So do you find that a, a lot of coaching then, a lot of this advice is emotionally in, emotional intelligence related? Because that's sort of what I'm hearing, that it sounds like um, – Almost like a combination of, of Buddhist mindfulness practice. I, I mention that a lot to programmers. And, and seriously, though, and, and and just a certain amount of savvy slash emotional intelligence, asking these incisive questions of, of them and trying to get it to get them to ask it themselves. It depends a lot on the coach and what that particular coach's training and background and and worldview is. You know, the basic skill set of coaching, though, is. Socratic questioning. Mm. I ask you a question so that you realize what you already know. That's, that's the core of what coaching is about. 
And yeah, sometimes coaches give advice, right? Like we'll say, hmm, well, have you considered making a schedule, <laughs> for example, <laughs> right? But the core of it, what makes it different than consulting or teaching or any other methodology that people use to, to help them is that it's based on the idea of the question as the central tool. I, I just want to jump in here because I had a business coach for the first few months that I went freelance. Um, I, act, I had actually hired him before I went freelance to help me get out on my own and start my own business. And then I got laid off and it just kind of all happened. Um, but yeah, that's really what it is, is that, um, and, and I don't know how deliberate it was with my coach, but effectively he would ask questions that I wasn't asking. And it wasn't because I didn't think to ask them. It was more because I didn't really want to face the reality of what the answer was. And he either saw through that or was just asking because, you know, he, he didn't have the same blinders up that I did and really, you know, got me to face what I was dealing with and then, you know, work my way around the problems that I was having. And, and hopefully that was part of what your coach's training was because that's what, what most of us learn. I mean, I came into coaching from being a consultant and I was used to telling people what to do. And what I learned when I was trained as a coach was, oh, hmm, telling people to, what to do only goes so far. What you have to do is you have to evoke from that person the interest, the willingness, the resources, the creativity that is going to allow them to do things for themselves and then either not need you anymore or need you for something new, the next level, the next layer of what they're trying to get to. Interesting. That's like I've experienced something like that in my own business Um, because I act as a consultant in addition to just being a contractor. A lot of people pull me in because they know they need help, but they don't necessarily want to get my advice. They, they think they want the help, but they don't necessarily want the advice that goes with it. They're sort of halfway there, and I need to try to figure out what it is that's wrong to try to get them to want to change because they know they want to change, but they don't really feel it yet. That That's is very perceptive. Yeah, they don't really feel it yet. You know, Erica Jong said, advice is what you ask for when you already know the answer but wish you didn't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> oh. Yeah, and you're hoping they'll give you a different answer, but that rarely works out, right? <laughs> Which is what, like the second stage of grief that's bargaining? <laughs> You've already gone through denial. You hired the consultant. Now you're bargaining. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. So not to make this show totally about coaching, but uh, so how do you, (laughs) but I do have a follow up question. How do you, how do you find a coach? I mean, that's, I have no idea. I mean, I can hire technical people because I'm a technical person, but I have no idea what to look for in a coach. And how I would answer that is, Talk to people who you feel as if are in some way like you. Don't necessarily need to be people in your industry. Maybe people who you feel like are at the same level that you are at in your business or people that you feel as if you have kind of an affinity with personally and say, have you ever had a coach? Who'd you work with? I think personal recommendations are absolutely the best way. 
if you can't find anybody that you know who you would really feel as if could give you a good solid recommendation, there are a number of places that you can go online and look at directories of coaches and even put out an RFP for a coach. Um, so the International Coach Federation is one. That's coachfederation.org. Or if you already know that you want a coach who uses a particular kind of methodology because maybe you heard about it and you thought that that was interesting, most of the training schools maintain their own directories of coaches. So I went to the Coaches Training Institute and um, the coaches.com has their own directory of coaches who uh, trained with them. And then I also received training from the Arbinger Institute and I'm part of the Arbinger Coaches Network. And that's another way that you can identify coaches. Yeah, one other thing that I want to point out is that uh, when I hired the coach, um, you know, I'd, I'd heard a lot about him um, from different people. And then I actually started listening to his podcast. And so I started, you know, looking at what he was putting out there and, um, and, and you know, kind of got a feel for what he was about and how that kind of fit in with where I was at. And then um, I contacted him and he actually did a free half hour, which turned into a free hour um, where, where we just talked about where I was at and things. And by the time I was done with that hour, I was pretty comfortable with the way that he approached things and the way that we could communicate. And, and I understand that, you know, not all coaches work well for all people. And so it's okay if you get an hour or two into, you know, the coaching and you realize that this person isn't good for you, then, you know, you can either say, look, this, this isn't getting me what I want. And they can either refer you to somebody else or they can, you know, work with you in the way that, that works for you. Absolutely. And not all coaches will give you a sample session uh, at no charge, but all coaches will have a conversation with you about what are you looking for? This is how I coach. Let's look and see if you and I feel as if we are a match before they ask you to enter into any kind of coaching relationship. Because we want to make sure too, we don't want to have people as clients who are people who are not going to benefit from our coaching. What, what, what fun is that? Well, well, or even worse, could be coached by you and not have a good experience, then turn around and be a negative referral. And that's not not a classification, but if they're not going to give you glowing reviews for the coaching you're trying to provide them, then they're not going to be a good fit either. That's right. Yep, absolutely. So, so let's get back to this uh, process for uh, uh, finding clients. Um, I thought it was interesting that you, you really boiled things down to six strategies. And, you know, it's so funny because you think about all of the different ways you can promote your business and, uh, you know, you start listing them off and yeah, they, they all pretty much fall into one of these six categories. Yeah. And, and looking at it, you know, no matter what new technological developments occur that start to affect how marketing happens, the strategies still hold true. And, there are many, 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 many tactics for marketing, but the strategies boil down to six. I mean, anything you can do is either direct contact and follow-up, networking and referral building, public speaking, writing and publicity, promotional events, or advertising. That's it. There's only six. So every time a new technological thing occurs, so Get Clients Now was designed pre-internet, right? So nobody was on the web when I came up with the program. Um, it's a channel with which you can do any of those things, just like writing a letter is a channel that you can use for doing any of those things, just like being on the phone is a channel you can use. 
Being online is a channel you can use. Social media is a channel you can use. And how you use it is what dictates how successful it is, not the channel itself. Right. Now, um, you suggest when, when you start the program that you, uh, you, know, you do no more than, what, three or four? Yes. Um, is, is there any point, you know, maybe later on that you would maybe branch into the, the fifth or sixth or whatever area, you know, if after you, your 28 days? If you are a one-person business with no outside help, I find it almost impossible for anybody to use successfully more than four strategies simultaneously. Okay. Now, if you're a one-person business and you have outside help and you're acting as the manager, sure, you can start using additional strategies. But for most people, I think what's more beneficial is swapping them out. This month, I'm really going to focus on speaking, or this quarter, I'm really going to focus on speaking, but next month or next quarter, I'm going to focus on writing, and switch that focus so you you have the the intensity and the follow-through on a particular area where you're trying to make changes, and then do it with a different area another time, rather than trying to add it on to what you're already doing. It's probably not just that time either. I mean, I, I certainly agree. I barely have enough time to to do the marketing I want and I need to get a coach. I know, but I mean, the other part of it is uh, people aren't going to be good at all six strategies either. I mean, some people are not going to want to ever do public speaking, but they might be great at writing or something. So I, I, I don't know. Is it likely that people are going to be good at, at all six strategies? Very unlikely. Yeah. And, and even if they're good at them, that may not mean that they're the best ones for them to be doing. Right. I find that for most independent professionals, there's really not a lot of use for advertising in any of its forms. And for many, there's really not a lot of use for promotional events. So if you strike out the things that are at the bottom of the effectiveness uh, hierarchy and you only do those things that are most effective, you're going to stick with the top three or four anyway. Right. So I have to ask this, and probably for obvious reasons, but is a podcast public speaking or writing and publicity? Isn't that a great question? So <laughs> <laughs> it, it depends on how you use it, right? A podcast could be advertising. So it's one of those technological things. It's a channel, right? So what are you using it for? So typically a podcast is going to be public speaking, but there's a caveat because if you are the one distributing your podcast and the only way that anybody finds out about your podcast is because they come to your website, well, that's not really public speaking because you don't have the endorsement, the credibility, the reach that you have when you speak for somebody else. Mm -hmm. So it's really more in the publicity category because you're the one who's pushing it out there and you're the one who's saying, hey, aren't I great? I have a podcast, right? Versus somebody else saying that. Well, but doesn't it, it, it depend in a way? Because one thing that comes to mind, I tend to do most of my marketing by way of public speaking. I mean, I can write, but I really enjoy talking with people a lot more mm -hmm. than I enjoy writing. And um, 
so I end up mentioning this podcast in my Twitter feed. A lot of people who, or at least some of the people, I won't say a lot, who uh, hear me speak, subscribe to my Twitter feed. So then a bunch of those people then come over to the podcast. And then Eric and Jeff, by degrees, do the same thing or similar things. And I found that it seems to have some kind of multiplicative effect because I know some of my followers on Twitter, for example, are listening to this podcast. Absolutely, because what you're doing there is you're incorporating an element of follow-up. So when you have somebody who already knows you and who you are following up with by having repeat contacts with that person in a variety of media, now what you're doing is you're actually executing a follow-up strategy, which is way up at the top of the effectiveness chain. Interesting. I never put the, put those together like that. That okay? No one. Yeah. That would explain a little bit of why my why my approach is working. <laughs> because a, a lot of the pieces of my approach, according to the way that you have laid out in the book, they're the medium effectiveness on down. But it's been working pretty well. So I guess yeah. it is. There's follow up in there. I just learned something. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and then I've heard that from a couple of different people. I mean, there's there's a guy named Pat Flynn that has the. He has like a be everywhere principle and the whole idea is that, that, you know, they get exposed to you through the podcast and then they, you know, they come and they read a couple of your blog posts and then they follow you on Twitter and, you know, and so you, you can, you're continually in front of them so that they know who you are and, and, and what you're about. Well, there's this one quote though from the book I'm looking at right now. Um, when I, when, when you say things like that, Chuck, we, we talked about it before to me, it feels a little and I'm not I'm not putting this on you because you're quoting someone else but it, it feels a little artificial that it's it's a strategy or a tactic the line out of the book is uh, quoting Debbie Allen effective self promotion comes from a different place a place of caring from your heart and when done effectively it comes from a place of passion i i tend to do the the marketing so to speak that i do because i'm talking about things that matter to me and i'm doing them in a context that matters to me it's somewhat you could say part of a coherent strategy but really it's just expressing feelings to people who seem to care about them yeah i, th I think you i think you have the right of it there i mean if it's artificial people will see through it and that right. doesn't, that doesn't help you at all um but if you know if you can do it and you can be genuine doing it then being in more places is is helpful totally it, it is it is helpful and i I'd, I'd like to point out that all of you who are here having this conversation with me today are advanced entrepreneurs in that you've already gotten it together enough to have a podcast, right? <laughs> so your typical independent professional who hung out their shingle six months ago, right? They look at this as being, oh my God, you mean I'm supposed to get clients and serve clients and simultaneously write a blog have a podcast, do public speaking, go to networking events, have a social media network, and they just throw their hands up and say, I might as well go get a job. Mm. And see your kids before they go to bed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Have a, have a work, life. <laughs> that whole work-life balance thing. But that, the follow-up to the podcast, I forget who said it, but it's always have something to invite someone to. Huh. I forget who, but it's the same Michael idea, Port. right? If they see you speak, come to, was it Michael Port? Yeah. But they see you uh, speak, but, oh, throw them on Twitter. Yeah. And it, it's good advice. And, you know, I wrote an article a while back called Why You Shouldn't Do What the Gurus Do. <laughs> and it's really looking at this idea that 
we think that in order to be successful, we should pattern ourselves after these successful people we see out there who are doing the be everywhere thing, right? Mm-hmm. Not recognizing that either those people have a staff, right, who is executing a lot of this stuff for them, or those people have been in business for a long time and they've built it very slowly, very incrementally. I've been in business for 20 years doing what I do. That's a really long time. So I've got articles, I've got a network, I've got speaking topics. You know, when somebody says, can you do a guest blog post for me? I don't have to write it from scratch. I can just pull something out of the hat, right? If somebody says, can you come talk on this topic? I don't have to write up a description. I already have that description. All of the mechanics of the behind the scenes of what it takes to do that be everywhere thing, it takes a long time to put all of that together. And most people just starting out, it's very discouraging to think ah, that they've got to do it all at once somehow in order to be successful. That would explain the reaction I get from a lot of people when I recommend your book. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're afraid of they're afraid of starting one little tiny step on a journey of a million miles when it's really your book makes it such a simpler journey. <laughs> one, one thing I've done, because I've done the 20-day process probably about a dozen times now, but I started it like exactly how the book says it. And then over time, I've actually refined it. And so if I know it's going to be a busy month, I might only pick two strategies and only pick like five or six daily actions instead of 10. Just because I know myself, if I put too much on my plate and get overwhelmed, I just burn out and won't get anything done. And so like right now, I'm in the middle of one that I only have six daily actions instead of 10, just because I know I have stuff going on in my personal life and I'm not going to be able to get the time I need. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the customizable things about the program is that you either have less actions or you have actions that are scaled down to what's reasonable. There's lots of examples in the book of things like, you know, go to a networking event every week or uh, send out 10 letters a week, that sort of thing. But you can scale that to whatever makes sense to you. Go to one a month, for example, or send three letters a week. The, The quantity is not what's important in terms of the successfulness. It's the persistence and the commitment that's important to being able to to see some sort of impact. So one... Um, Yeah, 10... I was looking for it in a book. Get 10 no's. That's one of my favorite ones, I think. Get 10 no's a week or whatever. Yep, yep. That's another suggestion is to look at it from that direction because a lot of people are afraid of getting the no, right? But getting 10 no's is going to lead you to a yes. Why not put it out there and say, okay, this is what I'm up to. I'm going to try and get 10 no's, and therefore you're going to do things that otherwise you might hold back on. I'll tell you, my kids don't like getting no's. <laughs> but yeah, they, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The, the other thing is, is if you're getting a no that isn't necessarily a never, and so you are still gathering information that can help you make the sale down the line. Well, yeah, and, and I think that too is a place that people need to be looking is instead of looking at how do I turn this into a sale today, the question is really how do I be of service to this person today in such a way that they will either become a client or become a referral source or 
become a colleague and supporter, become part of my fan club. And if you're looking at it through the lens of building relationships for the long term, then you're going to deliver to that person whatever is most valuable to them right now today. And that's eventually going to lead to benefit for you, even if it doesn't turn into an immediate client. I think that's where the focus really needs to be. Yep. So cool to hear you say that because I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> so, so let me ask a question then, and this is going to get a little bit more into kind of the practical knowledge, but uh, I'm, I've never been very good at turning people into referral sources, and I'm not sure if I'm just not approaching it correctly or if, you know, if there's something there. Because to me, a referral source in the past at least has been somebody who just kind of organically you know, somebody says something to them and they remember, oh, gee, Chuck does that stuff. And so I'll tell them to go talk to him. Um, is is there more to that? You know, should I be following up with them? Hey, do you know anyone who needs my help? Or how, how exactly do you approach that? Well, there's a couple of things about that. One is that people need to know who to refer to you and when to refer them. And sometimes we're not so good at letting people know that. We think everybody knows what we do and, and how we can help other people, and usually they don't. Usually, in fact, even people who are very close to us don't know that. So we need to get really specific about who we help and how we help them and when is the best time to refer them. So if I say to you, the best time to refer somebody to me is when they're up to something big in their business, when they've gotten fed up with not having enough clients, or when they've decided to turn their business inside out and do it entirely differently. Those are great times to refer me a client. Now you have a trigger and you know, oh, okay, you know, my friend so-and-so is in that place and I never thought of referring her to CJ, right? So that's the kind of information that's really, really helpful to referral sources. So that's, that's one thing. And another thing is, yeah, we do need to follow up with potential referral sources, but not from the context of, do you have anybody for me? From the context of, hi, what's going on? This is what's going on with me. Anything I can do for you? So that staying in contact, again, being of service, right? How can I help you is what naturally makes people be in the mindset, the reverse, right? How can they help you? Right. Reciprocity. Absolutely. And the reciprocity isn't necessarily exchanging referrals. Right. And in a lot of cases, you've already given them value. So reciprocity is them just paying it back now. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. So another thing that I've been terrible at since I don't hear a lot of other questions coming through is uh, I, I've been using a CRM, but I haven't been using it very well. And so really, it's just a collection of people that I've sent emails to. Um, and, and you, you other guys probably have some input on this too. I mean, how, how do you use that? I guess, I guess I need to be using it to keep track of who I need to be following up with and when, and that's something that I haven't been doing, but, but are there other uses or other good ways of, of utilizing that to, to do well with follow-up? Only crazy, but, uh, I, I used to use a CRM. Now I just, uh, incorporate all that stuff into my GTD tool. I, uh, I put my contacts right in my address book. Uh, you know, obviously I'm an OS 10, so address book's integrated. And then I just put the call so and so in my to do list. In order for it's a follow up 
for a previous conversation, then I schedule it on my to in, in my to do list in my GTD app. And because my GTD app is my trusted source of things that Evan needs to get done, it's something that I that I see rather than a CRM, which is very specialized, which is something you have to kind of go out of your way to remember to look at. Right. I, I love that, Evan, because that kind of integration is, I think, where we all need to look. You know, the there is no one-size-fits-all solution for anything. Right, yeah. Right? Why, again, why I like your book. <laughs> yeah, you got to look for what works for you. Where do you right. look? What keeps you focused? So, uh, you know, to answer Chuck's original question with the with the CRM, I tend to use a CRM kind of in reverse. So what I mean huh. by that is instead of looking to my CRM and having it tell me who I should follow up with, I tend to say, hmm, I have a reason to follow up today. Who are the people that that reason would benefit? So I just wrote a new article that I think would be of interest to a certain subset of people. Let's go to my CRM and pull a list of who those people are and and poke them and say, hi, just did this article I thought would interest you, right? So I use the reason as the driver rather than the CRM as the driver. And then the CRM is just a resource tool to help me do what I want to accomplish. Very interesting point because while I, while I put follow-up to my to-do list, what I often find happen and in, in, from a David Allen perspective, that there's a little bit of inertia to, to always do, hitting my to-do list the way I feel like I should, meaning that there are things that don't always get done on, so-called on time. Instead, what happens is they pile up, and then I have a day where I do things. So, for example, I end up with one day, which is a lot of follow-up. And that sounds a little bit like what you just described there. I just hadn't thought about it that way. <laughs> Again, very cool. Yeah, but I, I really, I really like it, and it also makes it easy. I think to target some of your. So, for example, if you're writing a blog post, you know, if if you know that it targets a particular person, then you can tailor it a little bit for them, and then follow up with them. And so the two can kind of inform each other, and, and I kind of like the interplay there. Absolutely. Very often, I'll have a particular client in mind when I write a blog post or when I write an article. And so I'll write to that client and say, hey, this, this, you may recognize some of the examples in here. See what you think. <laughs> yeah. Eric, were you going to say something? Oh, I was going to say like, and that kind of works for me because I used to do the idea of every week I need to follow up with you know, three people. And I like sit there and be like, okay, I need to follow up with someone today. I don't know what to follow up to them with. And so it would be like, okay, now I need to go and create something for them. And it would turn into this huge task. But if I turn it around, like you said, and make it where, you know, I create a blog post or whatever, and I'm like, oh, let's see who I could give this to. That's probably actually, at least for me, can be a better route. It's going to be easier and going to work with, you know, the existing stuff I already do. I think it's easier for most people to look at it through that lens. And it doesn't have to be an article that you wrote or a blog post that you wrote. It can be somebody else's that you ran across and you said, oh, now this is really cool. And then you send that to half a dozen people and say, this made me think of you. And their reaction is, ooh, here's this person thinking of me and wanting to help me. You know, I haven't thought of that person in a while. Hmm, maybe we should work together. Yeah, it's one last step too, right? You found this thing, now you just have to find somebody to give it to instead of, oh, I need to give this person somebody. Let's figure out what to give them. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Do, do you ever refer people to blog posts that you read and didn't write? 
Oh, yeah, all the time. So I read this and it reminded me of you and, and this particular issue that we talked about. Yep, absolutely. Thought this might be helpful to you. I do that all the time with blog posts or articles or podcasts or events. I see an event being scheduled and I'll go, oh, I can think of some people who could really benefit from that event and I'll tell them about it. And that's a one by one follow up, not, uh, I mean, you tailor every single individual follow up or this event was 10 people that, you know, you blast all 10 of them, the same message. Yes. And I will also put it out on social media if it's something that I think would benefit a large number of people in my network. But yeah, it's sending it to specific people with a personal note that I think it would be particularly relevant to because it's that that direct personal follow-up mm-hmm. when people realize that you're thinking of them that has the impact. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. So is is there anything that you wish you had in the book? You know, as things have changed over the last 15 years, you wish you could put in there or had put in there? Well, the books. Or are you, I was going to say, and or are you thinking of releasing a, a revision? <laughs> <laughs> well, the book has uh, already been revised. The program has been revised twice, and the book's been revised oh. once. So the program was first designed in '95. The book came out in '99. Um, a new edition came out in 2007. And I'm always hesitant to say this because when I say this, people go, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't buy it yet. But yes, there will be a third edition. The second edition is what's on sale right now. It's only 20 bucks. Don't wait. Get the current edition. And then you can get the third edition when it comes out, too. (laughs) It's it's definitely worth getting, even if there's a revision coming. I I would tell people that anyway. And I will definitely buy your third edition when it comes out. Yeah, I I have to say that uh, even if the third edition is coming, out in a month or two if you wait for it you are leaving money on the table totally so go buy it go buy the thanks, second guys. edition it'll be worth it thanks guys and the third edition will be at least six months it's already it's already actually in the can it's written but uh, oh, uh cool. publishers publishers take time to uh to do these things unlike when you self-publish and you could just zap something out right away when you're working so with a big publisher it takes a bit those darn publishers. So, so I have another question for you, and and this is something. Whenever I tell people to go check out the book, I always tell them, "Yes, it's the one that the cover looks like an infomercial." <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I so so, so I have to ask. I have to ask about the cover. You know, who who designed it, and uh, is it going to change? Well, it changes every time. Um, Yay! So, oh, sorry. <laughs> so I have zero influence over the cover design, except. Huh. Yeah, this is, this is again, the publisher thing, right? Except for the fact that if they show it to me and I say I despise it, then I could potentially get them to do something about that. There is a funny story about that, which is that once upon a time, um, in the first edition, they decided that they didn't really like the cover and they wanted to, quote, update it, unquote, they didn't even tell me that they were going to update the cover. And in fact, the first time I found out about it was when my next shipment of books arrived and they all had a new cover on them. And they took the cover that had originally been on it, completely changed it, and the new cover had an image of two white men shaking hands. Oh, and when really? I saw that, I just went through the roof. <laughs> I said, <laughs> guys, are you out of your minds to use an image like this on the cover of my book? What were you thinking? 
Um, and what happened was as a result of that, they said, well, maybe it's time for you to do a new edition and then we'll give you a new cover. So that's where the second edition actually originated, although it would have happened anyway. But, um, so, uh, under those circumstances, they, they will accept my input. Um, but with the current cover, um, basically it's done when I see it, Right. And they show it to me and they say, what do you think? So I can influence in small ways, but I, I can not really get them to throw it out and start over because it costs some money. So the, the short answer is the third edition will have a new cover. But the bad news is I can't predict what it'll look like. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we're hoping for the best there. But yeah, ser- seriously, every time it's like, and, and I've had a few people where I didn't tell them that and they come back and they're like, is it this one? Are you sure? It's, yes, it's that right. One. <laughs> that, that's almost always the reaction I get too. You, it's, you, it couldn't be this one with the rainbow on it, right? <laughs> oh well, that's the first edition with the rainbow. Oh well, okay. That that's off the one that comes up on uh, on Amazon a lot when I when I search for it. Other people search for it. At least it, in the past, what comes up? What, do you get the handshake one or the uh, the business card one now? Oh no, you should get the one. The that's red. red. Oh right, red, with the white, big black, line. The giant now. Yeah, yeah, that looks a lot better. Um, and yeah, let's it's, see. It's, it's not horrible. I think I saw the first edition when I first looked it up. But. Yes, I think that. I think when I went from the paperback to clicking on the Kindle link a few years ago, the Kindle page had the rainbow color on it, uh-huh. and, and and that's where I think I went back to Eric and Jeff and said, "Is it really this one?" <laughs> <laughs> I, I I still remember that. It left an impression. <laughs> Yeah, and that one should hopefully be eradicated by now. Although there's a, you know still a few copies of the first edition floating around, but the first edition didn't even have the internet in it. So hopefully there's not too many of them left. <laughs> well, yeah. at least it was just the pure, not the content. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the cover that's on it now isn't horrible. I think I think it was the older version that that I saw, and I was just like, okay, good. I was like, yipes. <laughs> right. But wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Chuck, I think this might have actually been a discussion between you and me and back in the day. I just don't remember because it was a few years ago. Yeah, it happened. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I just, specifically I, I, looking it up and coming back and going, Evan, is is, is this the right book? Yeah. It just happened to you a bunch of times now also, and it's happened to me a bunch of times, so I couldn't be sure either. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, the, the current the current cover is definitely better. So, oh, okay. Well, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad to hear that, and hopefully the third edition will have an even better cover, whatever better turns out to be. I'm look. I'm trying to find a link to it. I can't find it real quick, but I'm sure since you wrote it, you'll know. But Eric sent me a link to this. It's like a 50 page PDF that's for the next step after Get Clients Now that talks about how to figure out based on. Uh, uh, monthly sales projections or what your revenue goals are and how much time and money you have to spend on your marketing activities, uh, what you should be working on. Did any of that stuff get incorporated into the third edition or is that going to stay a standalone thing? It's going to stay separate and I'll tell you why. Most people's reaction to the, the one-person marketing plan workbook, which is what you're right, describing, yeah. um, is that it's very left-brain linear. So it appeals to left-brain linear people and it does not appeal to people who would not categorize themselves as that very much because it's got uh, – you have to really sit down and do mathematics around your plan. 
And I find that for most entrepreneurs, that is just not going to happen. They're not going to sit down and crunch the numbers that are going to help them see, well, gee, if I want to get this much in sales, how many clients is that? And therefore, how many presentations do I need to be making? And therefore, how many prospects do I need to make contact with on a regular basis? It's, it's a great approach for people who are comfortable with thinking in that way. But it's not a good approach for people who aren't. So it's not in Get Clients Now, and I'm not, I'm not putting it in there. Yeah, no, it, I mean, it resonated immediately with, immediately with me. And that's that's a lot why I liked uh, Get Clients Now originally. I mean, because before I read your book, marketing was this big, mystical black cloud that somebody like me couldn't deal with. But then presented as a cookbook with recipes I can follow, and I'm math geek computer person i can follow a recipe just as good as anybody so i mean that it really demystified the whole black magic of marketing and i find very often that people with any kind of it background are really happy with get clients now and usually very happy with the one person marketing plan workbook and Mm. you know truth be told uh i have an it background too way way in the distant past of uh uh, you don't uh, have to you don't have to tell us about the skills we'll we'll end up inferring way too much uh well you know uh we're talking about punch cards okay I, so, we didn't want to know. <laughs> that, 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 that instantly puts us in a decade. <laughs> yeah. Um, and after that period of time, I also was a scientist for a time. I worked as a geologist. Oh, so wow. for me, the idea of putting something into a system is like second nature. That is a story I would like to hear sometime. How you went from <laughs> geologist to coach Blog post? with a, a marketing program. <laughs> That's a whole nother book, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe I'll write that one someday. All right. So well, the one, one, oh, I gonna, can I get a question in or we need to wrap up? Um, you can get a question in, but then we need to get the picks. Okay. okay the, the one question that's been in my mind from the very beginning that I hadn't quite heard addressed yet is are you still following – your own get clients now strategies and tactics or as you're certainly way up higher on the guru ladder than, than any of us, are you using somewhat different tactics than the ones that you publish about? Um, I do have a little bit of a staff. So I do use typically four strategies regularly and occasionally more, but usually only four still, and they execute certain things for me. And other things happen by themselves once I start them in motion. You know, in Get Clients Now, I talk about the persistence effect, the payoff from being persistent in using any particular approach. When you start seeing results that don't seem to in any possible way come from what you actually did, that's, I get 20 years worth of persistence effect. So I have things that I don't actually have to make happen that just happen for me. Like, for example, getting invitations to appear on podcasts, right? That just happens. I don't have to initiate those. So there are a lot more things like that for me. But in terms of actually following the basic methodology of the system, yes, I still do that. Well, 20 years of habits, it's got to be harder for you not to do it than to do it probably. (laughs) That is true. Yeah, well, and it also makes it easier in coaching to say, hey, look, well, this is what I do. It does. All right, well, let's get into the picks. Um, 
Eric, why don't you start us off with picks? Okay, so uh, one pick, it's related, is a post called Marketing Monday. Um, pretty decent post, and it kind of, it's targeted towards developers, people who, like Jeff said, it's like this big black cloud of what is marketing. Um, but he kind of talks about how instead of trying to do a little bit every day on marketing and like not knowing what to do and just putting it off to work on code, he says dedicate like one day a week and use that day to kind of look at your results from the previous week, do some marketing for this week, and then you use the other four days of the week to do whatever your business is. Um, it's different from Get Clients Now and that Get Clients Now is like an everyday habit. But for some people, it might be easier to kind of batch things up and kind of get into marketing slowly, like one day a week at a time. And that way you actually have some ample time to learn what you're doing and not just be so afraid and making mistakes all the time. All right. Awesome. Is that is that all of your picks? Yeah. Okay. Evan, what are your picks? Well, let's see. I had one from last week, which is called, but I wasn't on. Um, sorry about that. Which is called the Busy Trap. It was an article in the New York Times, basically about how we spend so much time doing that we don't really. Well, I guess a lot of it's some of the slow down and smell the roses, but it, it's more than that. I highly recommend reading it. it. It resonated a lot with me. It resonated a lot with Eric, who who read it after I, I mentioned it in the um, in the Skype chat. Another thing, uh, I spend a lot of time on Twitter. I sometimes kid about being a Twitter problem with a person instead of the other way around. And um, the and I'm an OS 10 user like a lot of us. And the Twitter clients for OS 10 are deplorable. But recently, uh, Tweetbot, who makes arguably the best client for the iPad or for iOS, they released what they're calling an alpha for OS 10. And it is so much better than the than the Mac OS X Twitter client. So I highly recommend it, even though it's an alpha. And please, when these guys release, give them money because it's a good app. And recently means like 22 hours ago. Yeah, recently means I heard about it on Twitter. Exactly. And it, it, it was very, you know, within the past day or so, very recent. Ooh, a Twitter app that doesn't suck. I, I'm going to have to check yes, that out. Yes, I know it. An OS X Twitter app that doesn't suck. And if you haven't used it on iOS, it is every bit as good on iOS as it is on the Mac and even easier to use, I think, on iOS. It, it's a terrific app. I, I'm skeptically optimistic here. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you haven't used Tweetbot before, I, sincerely, I understand your skepticism. I felt the same way when someone recommended it to me. All right. Jeff, what are your picks? I have a couple. <clears throat> one, uh, let me paste it. Um, so one is a public service announcement. LinkedIn got hacked the other day. And now Yahoo Voice. Though I don't know if anybody even uses Yahoo Voice, but apparently they got hacked and usernames and passwords are posted online. So if you don't have multiple passwords and you do use Yahoo Voice, then change your password. Uh, the other one is Zurb Foundation. It's sort of the stepchild to uh, Twitter Bootstrap. Not that they're related, but Twitter Bootstrap gets all the attention and Zurb doesn't. But they released uh, version 3 recently, uh, updated all the CSS, so it's now using SAS, uh, which is in contrast to less that Ooh, Twitter Bootstrap uses. So it's definitely worth a look. And... The last pick is a bit self-serving, but I was answering a question on Quora, uh, where are 
job sites and I updated a post to go on freelance switch that never got published on freelance switch. So it's a couple hundred different job sites categorized and I put that up on my blog. So that's my final pick. Awesome. Yeah. And, and, uh, is, is that the freelancing weekly link that you put in? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And, and just to plug Jeff's freelancing weekly, awesome curation of articles for freelancers. So, all right. Well, I'll go ahead, jump in and go next on my picks. Um, my first pick is motor oil. It turns out that if you ignore your engine and you don't put motor oil in it for a long time, it will break on you. And, uh, yeah, I got stuck up in the canyon for about two and a half hours waiting for my father-in-law to come get me. And then we spent four days swapping the engine out of our minivan. So just so you know, you might want to check the oil in your car. <laughs> my other pick is Reportive. Um, Reportive is a plug-in for uh, Gmail and Google Apps. And uh, I use Google Apps for my email. Um, what it does is at the bottom of every email, it has its own little section that it inserts in there. And uh, if you look at the emails from uh, various people, um, I'll just pull one up right here from somebody that I know um, has it. it. It basically it gives you a picture of them off of their social networks. Um, it lists their latest tweets. Um, it lists information off of LinkedIn. It tells you what, what jobs they have, where they work, that kind of stuff. I mean, anything that they can find off of the various social networks that people have information in. And so if you're doing some kind of follow-up, you want to see what's going on with these folks, then Reportive is just a super way of um, having that right there in your email so that when you reply, you can say, oh, by the way, I saw you tweeted about X, Y, and Z, and you know that looked really cool. And you know, congratulations on whatever it was that you were telling us about and that kind of thing. And really it, uh, you know, it, it, it's really a nice tool and it's helped me out in a couple of situations where I'm trying to remember how I know this person and then I can go and look and go, oh yeah, they, you know, they do this and I met them at this conference and that kind of thing. And so it's not a CRM, but it is helpful in seeing what they're about. Um, and uh, we'll go ahead and let CJ do some picks now. Okay, so uh, given the kind of stuff that we've been talking about today, um, I'm going to suggest uh, two articles that I wrote recently as uh, possible things to expand further on some of these ideas. Uh, one of them is why you don't market the way you should, uh, which is uh, one that I wrote about uh, the, the things that, that – might suggest you should be doing something else instead of doing something more. Uh, and then uh, another one that actually came up a little bit in our conversation today as well was the idea of one size does not fit all. Uh, so that's another recent article. And uh, that one was titled, In Marketing, One Size Does Not Fit All, um, about how to tailor what it is that uh, you really want to be accomplishing in such a way that it gets, it gets the results that are right for you and the approaches that are right for you. All right. Can I, awesome. Can I, ask, can I ask a real stupid question about the blog? Um, I'm looking for a way to subscribe via Google Reader or RSS. Is there one and I'm just not missing it or there isn't one? On getclientsnow.net? Yeah. Oh, get client. Well, the links that you sent were on getclientsnow.net.com, uh, uh, but I was looking at both. Yeah. Yeah. So on getclientsnow.net, there is lower right-hand corner of the homepage. Oh, okay. Okay. Thank you. Are, are they there the same is. articles between the two? 
Uh, no, they're different. Ah. Uh. <laughs> so get, does GetClientsNow.com have RSS? It does not because it's not structured as a blog. Okay. I, I thought that might be the case. Got yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, go check out GetClientsNow.net and, uh, yeah, add it to your RSS reader. Done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up. I just want to remind folks that you can find us in iTunes. Um, if you find us in the iTunes app store, go ahead and leave us a review. Really, really appreciate that. Um, we're also on Twitter at rubyfreelancers. Or rubyfreelancers. Sorry, rubyfreelancers.com is where the show notes and uh, blog is hosted. And uh, is there anything else that you guys want to add before we wrap this up? Just to thank CJ for the time. Really, really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Most definitely. Yeah. This, this has been a great podcast. I don't normally listen to them afterward. I'm probably going to have to listen to this one again at least once, if not twice. Yeah, if the book wasn't pure gold, the podcast, you know, just icing on the cake there. So. Right. So. Thank you. Glad to have been here. All right. We'll catch you all next week. <laughs>